0: Greeny with Mike Greenberg, the podcast.
1: Back and better than ever, Greeny presented by Progressive Insurance. Guests on the Goodyear hotline like Ryan Day, head coach, Ohio State. He's got perhaps the biggest wild card in this draft six days from now. Justin Fields, his quarterback. We'll talk to Coach about that and more. Mike T. today, hashtag crew in the house. Your calls are coming up. And my favorite story about the greatest announcer there ever was. All that and more. Let's go. Here we Go.
0: Only one place to
1: start. So I'm going to get to these sound bites in a minute, but I just feel like I want to tell this story right off the bat today. And again, the hashtag crew is here. Hembo is here. Bubba is here. Nuno, Devin, the whole crew is here. And I'm not sure, Hembo, were you there for the Michael Irvin era at ESPN? I was not. Uh, Bubba, were you on Mike and Mike back when Michael still worked for us at ESPN before he went to NFL Network? I think so. Yeah, I definitely saw, I saw him around. Yeah. yeah, I'm pretty sure. So, so one of my favorite stories, if you're just joining us here, we just had Michael Irvin on TV, on Get Up. And I, so right. I spoke to him for about with the trivia. 20 minutes. Uh, we had a little trouble with the trivia. But, but that is what it is. We had, we had problems with the delay, but we got it all worked out. And Michael is just a great guy, and he is a longtime friend. And I'm reminded of the way people doubted the veracity of my story. Golic and Chris Carter both doubted me when I said that Michael Irvin and I used to work out together when he worked at ESPN, but it happens to be 100% true. Back in the day, and we literally may be going back 15 years now, I'm not sure exactly when this was, I would get off the air from Mike and Mike at 10 in the morning, and then I would anchor the Monday evening sports center at six o'clock. I did that every Monday. So I would be around pretty much the entire day getting ready to do that show, and Michael Irvin in those days worked for us, and he would do Monday Night Countdown, which would come right after the evening sports center. So there is a gym on the campus of ESPN in Bristol, Connecticut, and he and I, one day is how it started. We were both in there at the same time. Now, if you've never seen Michael Irvin work out, and I'm guessing most people listening to this have not, that man works out like a beast. I mean, hes it's unreal how hard he works out. And this is long after his career was over, obviously. And he always had ice packs on his knees that were dripping everywhere and people were behind him with mops. But that's neither here nor there. So I believe it started because he needed someone to spot him on the bench press bar. And I believe I was the only person in the room whose name he knew. But one way or another, he looks over at me and he says, Mike, can you come over here? Can you give me a spot? So he's lying on that bench press bar. He's got plates on there. I mean, he's got How many plates? Uh, he had at least two plates on each side. So I think he was benching 225. Uh, he was benching a lot. And he is working out. He's one of those guys who's working out and like shouting loudly, what making enorm- grunting, grunting, making like <laughs> enormously loud noise while he's working out. So, I want to be a good spotter. So I'm standing there over him. He's working out. He's, he's trying to get that one. And so I start yelling encouragement in his face. I'm like right there. I'm like, come on, Michael, you can do this. you got this. Show him what you got. You know, he loved that. So from then on, he would always work out with me. I think he, I was almost like his workout mascot where he would work out, but I would do sets, too. Like, we would take all the weight off, and then I would do a set, we put all the weight back on, and he would do a set. 100% true story. And the, 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 my favorite part of it was he would always have to pause in the middle because he'd be getting a phone call from someone unbelievably famous. Uh, it was ridiculous, <laughs> literally. We were in the middle of working out, and all of a sudden, he goes, go, hold on just one second, he's looking at his phone. Hold on one second, it's Will Smith. And then he, like, you know, walks away, and he <laughs> talks to Will Smith, and then he comes back a couple of minutes later, and we just go on. That would happen every single day, every Monday. And so many years later, I told that story on the air, and Golic and Chris Carter was hosting with us then. They didn't believe me. And we got Michael to call in, and he verified the story. And so that is my friendship with Michael Irvin goes back that far. I love the guy. He's a phenomenal analyst,
2: and he is an extraordinary workout person. You described it a tad bit differently than i would have though to say we worked out together I mean, worked suggests out that you to- were were equals no We worked out together. He was working out and I was working out. At the same time.
1: And together. Like, we were not, it wasn't like I was in the gym and he was in the gym coincidentally. We would make a plan to meet there at a certain time and
2: we would work out. He did what he did and I did what I did. did. But did he ever really need you to spot him? What I mean is, was there ever a time in which if you were not there, the weight would not have come up?
1: Um... I don't know about that, but he wouldn't have done what he was doing without someone spotting him. Like, you'd have to be a lunatic. If you had seen, I'm not kidding. (laughs) Look, he's a much older man now (laughs) than he was then. I have no idea how he does this now. But let me tell you, that guy worked out like he was still playing. And I remember being very thinking to myself that i guess that's how you get to be one of the greatest players ever because that dude just works out like crazy even when he doesn't have to okay good stuff anyway i just wanted to start with that because it was great to see him and chat with him and i wanted to have a little fun before we get to this
2: i'm sorry what?
1: what
0: i'm sorry what what i'm sorry what I'm sorry,
1: what? All right, so for I'm sorry, what here, which will be Straight Talk, brought to you by Straight Talk Wireless. We have three people saying fascinating things, and it works out very well as far as symmetry is concerned because one of them involves Bubba's team, one of them involves Nuno's team, and one of them involves my team. Let's start with America's team, which is also hashtag Bubba's team because he is the ultimate frontrunner, um, and that would be the Dallas Cowboys, whose owner and general manager, Jerry Jones. The Cowboys' Twitter account released this video of him talking to Kyle Pitts, the outstanding prospect in this draft, and Jerry Jones basically telling him, I'd give anything to get you on my team. Boy, I'll tell you what, uh, I'm excited to uh, have you come into this league, and uh, man, I, what a, a pair-up we could do with old Dak Prescott, and some of those guys that we've got out there of options to get you the ball, so... We can dream of visions of sugar plums around here. So he's got visions, Bubba, of sugar plums. The Dallas Cowboys, who would have to trade up at minimum, I think, to five and probably to four to get to Kyle Pitts on a team whose defense is just unimaginably bad. So I ask my favorite Cowboy fan, do you believe the Cowboys should trade all the way up to number four, give up a number one draft pick next year at least – to get Kyle Pitts on that offense? Uh,
0: I mean, I really, really would like to say yes, but unfortunately I'm going to have to say no. And I, and I even think Jerry is going to go with no on that one too. And I, I think I agree with him. The visions of Sugar Plums are where it's at. It's just visions. He's,
1: even he's not going to do this. If, if, if they fall to him, we'll take him. But even Jerry's not going to trade up to take him. I, you know, here's the thing. And I'm just going to stick with this one here, and then, and then we'll break, and we'll come back with the other ones there, and we'll get Tannenbaum in and a whole lot more. So my initial reaction was that's just ludicrous. Straight talk, wireless, no contract, no compromise. But then I realize I'm falling into the same trap I've always fallen into before, when in reality I know a lot more, and thus I know better. Here's the thing. Particularly since they changed the format so that round one of the draft takes place on its own day, we sometimes act like round one is the whole draft. If you want to remake your defense, what do you need? you need two really good players to do that? Let's maybe three. Well, you don't have to get that player on round one. So if they were to sit tight at number 10 and they were to take Patrick Sertan or J.C. Horn, who I think most people think are the two best corners in this draft, and they need that, that would be good. But if they were to get Kyle Pitts... I can tell you right now, I've got a list. I I can read off for you the names of eight or nine other corners who are going to go in the second round or third, whose names are all going to get called. I should have had this open in front of me. But, I mean, just in no particular... Greg Newsom is going to be off the board, but in no particular order. Tyson Campbell from Georgia. Asante Samuel, Jr. from Florida State. There's a slot corner named Aaron Robinson from UCF in this draft, who I know is very highly uh, thought of. There are other guys besides the two at the very top, who might wind up being better. Second and third round picks wind up frequently being outstanding in the National Football League. Every one of these picks is about a 50-50 proposition. People say Kyle Pitts is one of one. that He might be the kind of prospect that comes along maybe once a generation. So if you can get that guy... Maybe it's less about the fact that you have Amari Cooper and C. D. Lamb and Michael Gallup on your team right now, because in theory you're drafting this guy to be on your team for a long time. But at what cost? I maybe mean, he'll be. That's a, the thing. How about a, a number one next year, Bubs? That, that's that I Just think one is one number one. That's all you're saying? Well, that's not that little. That's a lot. And and maybe, I think it's more than that. That's the thing. I think would be they'd ask for more than that. It depends on how high he needs to go. See, here's how things break for you. Here, here let me give you the quick roadmap to this working out for you. The Cowboys at 10. To go up to four, let's just say for the sake of argument, that's super expensive because there are other teams trying to go up there to take a quarterback. Yeah, I'm I just don't, envisioning
0: it at four, so that's my thing.
1: Correct. I don't believe Atlanta takes a quarterback at four. That's my opinion. I believe they will either take Kyle Pitts or they will trade out. Your scenario here, Bubs, is they trade out a four to someone who wants to take a quarterback, who wants to guarantee themselves a quarterback. Now you get to Cincinnati at five. Cincinnati at five might very well take Penny Sewell, the bookend offensive tackle. Now we've gotten to six. Can you talk Miami into trading that pick to you? Now Miami has a lot of stuff. They got an extra number one in the way they shuffled around number one and everything else. Maybe they're enamored of Jamar Chase. I don't know. One way or another, that to me, you could go. as The latest I could see Kyle Pitts going in this draft, is what I'm trying to say, is six. I don't see any way in the world he goes later than six. Maybe the Cowboys find a way to get up there. I would describe it as unlikely. They probably have to go to four and five or five to get him. All right. Greeny presented by Progressive Insurance, making it easy to bundle your home and car insurance. I have two more here. I have two more decision makers around the National Football League saying things that are absolutely necessary to dive into. Mike Tannenbaum will join us, your calls, and we will remember the greatest ever to do it, whom we lost on this day in 1995. All those are on the way. I'm just getting started. They call me Greeny and this is ESPN Radio.
2: Greeny, the
0: podcast.
1: Greenie with you on ESPN Radio, presented by Progressive Insurance. Mike Tannenbaum live in 30 seconds here on the Goodyear Hotline, and we'll spend those 30 seconds with some straight talk. Yes, yeah, saving money feels good, but cutting your wireless bill in half, that feels really good, like walk-off home run in the ninth good. With straight talk, you can get 25 gigs of high-speed data for 45 bucks a month. It's up to 50% less than the other guys, plus no contract All on America's best networks. Why pay a whole lot when you can pay half? Straight Talk Wireless, no contract, no compromise. We're six days from the draft, and the man who knows all the wheeling and dealing is the GM of my team. That's Mike Tannenbaum, who joins me here once again. Hello again, Mike T. Greeny, how are you? Well, excellent. And so uh, I I opened the show today. I've got three different sound bites that I want to play for everybody. We've only gotten to one so far, and we played uh, Jerry Jones talking to Kyle Pitts and saying that he has – Visions of of sugar plums dancing in his head around the notion of trading up. And actually, I wanted Hembo to make this point as well while we have you on the phone. You you said something to me during the break, Hembo, about
2: something you've observed on Get Up, which I think is significant. I've talked to a bunch of our analysts on the phone just in preparation for our show. And the two people that have been most bullish or most uh, viewed the Cowboys trading up for Kyle Pitts most favorably were Bart Scott and Teddy Bruschi. Both of them are linebackers, and the way they describe Kyle Pitts is such that they would have no idea what to do with him on the field. So I think that is significant. So I, before I move on to the other
1: two, what would be your reaction? If, if we're sitting there on Thursday night and Roger gets up there and says, we've had a trade, the Cowboys have traded up to number four, and they take Kyle Pitts, what will you say?
0: I would be absolutely shocked. And here's why, Greeny. I get a chance every week to speak to a bunch of head coaches and GMs, and I ask the same question about how much of a difference maker is Kyle Pitts. And what was interesting, the defensive coaches, specifically Wade Phillips, Eric Mangini, guys like John Fox, they all said they're going to treat him as a receiver. So they're going to put a a corner on him. Until Kyle Pitts can show that he could block, he doesn't have to be a great blocker, but he has to cut off on the backside or move somebody at some point on a third and one, much the way Rob Gronkowski did for over a decade, he will be a really good player in this league. I'm not saying he won't be, but I don't see this incredible mismatch because defensive coordinators are going to see him as a receiver, not a tight end.
1: So you're just going to have to change your scheme though, right? Or or maybe even your personnel. Like it was, I I believe it was Teddy Bruschi who said on Get Up a few weeks ago, teams in that division, whatever division he winds up in, are going to go out and, and draft people or acquire people the way you're talking about, specifically to deal with him. Is that right?
0: 100%, and that's what you absolutely have to do. You build your team to win your division, and if he's a Dallas Cowboy, you're going to get an incredibly athletic safety who could run and cover. So Keanu Neal is somebody that Dallas just signed. He was a first-round pick of Atlanta, played for Dan Quinn. He's like the exact opposite of what you'd be looking for. Like if Kyle Pitts went to the Eagles, let's say, there's no way that Keanu Neal could cover him, but... You would have to start with a corner, and you're exactly right, Greedy. You would have to add specific players that could cover somebody like Pitts.
1: All right, so that, that's the consideration on the first. Mike Tannenbaum with me here. Goodyear Hotline, helping you discover the road ahead. Goodyear, more driven. All right, the next one, I want to play you some sound from Dave Gettleman, who is the general manager, oft maligned, of the New York Giants. And we put two sound bites together. So the first is... Him addressing the notion that he never trades back. There's a, there's a, basically, he has a reputation for never trading back in the draft. And the second, he has asked the question as to whether he would take a receiver in this draft. They pick at number 11, um, having just spent a fortune of money on Kenny Galladay as a free agent. So you'll hear both of those here. I've tried in the past.
0: I, I, Honestly, honest, I've tried to trade back, but it, it's going to be value. I'm not getting fleeced. It's almost becoming urban myth. I've tried. I really have. (laughs) You're always looking to upgrade every position doesn't make a difference, whether it's wide receiver tackle, whatever. It's about value. And it's,
1: you know, how you, how you're building your team, what you're looking to do and you can never have too many good players in one position. Well, uh, so Mike T he says, it's an urban myth. Have you ever had any dealings? I don't want you to give away any secrets, but, but, things you'd be comfortable sharing. Like does he have that reputation? Is he someone who doesn't like to trade and, and and in particular to trade back?
0: Yeah, I've made a lot of had a lot of conversations with Dave over the years about picks or players and really what you see is what you get with him. He's a Boston guy with a thick accent. He has a big heart, um, and he's a straight shooter, no nonsense guy. You know exactly where you stand. And while I didn't make a lot of deals with him, I always had a very good interaction with him. So I think this year specifically, Greeny, I think it's impossible for him to trade back because he's sandwiched between two division rivals, and nothing would make you sick, sicker than to actually trade back and then lose a player. Let's say you move back to 15, and then Philly plucks the player you wanted.
1: Well, but here's the thing, though, Mike. As, as we've gone through this, depending on what winds up happening with the quarterbacks, um, the Giants are kind of at the very beginning of no man's land. Like they're right at the spot, or they might anyway be right at the spot where what we perceive to be the best, best, best players in this draft will be gone. That's why they're asking him about wide receiver because maybe one of them is still there. Devontae Smith, Jalen Waddell, one of those guys could still be there. But that might be the beginning of the place where you start wanting to trade back. Now, John Gruden apparently used to say all the time in the draft meetings, I wasn't there, but I've heard this quote now 8,000 times. It's all well and good to want to trade back, but if no one answers the phone, you have to make the pick. So, at the end of the day, the, the Giants will have to make a pick if one of those receivers slides there. Should they take him?
0: No, I'm with you. They should trade back. I, I think they're good at receiver. I really do. Look, they added Galladay. I actually like some of their younger guys. In particular, Darius Slayton, I think, has a chance to be pretty good. Sterling Shepherd, solid, and they have to me basically another receiver in Evan Ingram. I think you made this point earlier in our production meeting, which is I think corner, which is another position in my mind of need for them, despite signing a Dory Jackson is someone like JC Horn may be there, but they could go back and get Greg Newsom from Northwestern because they're comparable players. Caleb Farley is going to be in the mix despite his medical situation. So, and if they say, well, Hey, we want to take a front seven pressure player, Aziz Ojalari from Georgia, Equity pay for Michigan, there's a couple of players you could trade back, pick up a second or a third Greeny, and still get a really good player for your defense. So if they were ever going to do it, I think this is a good year. But you have to feel comfortable that, be it a receiver or, my suggestion, a defensive player, that one of those players will be there if you trade back.
1: Yeah, l- let me give you just a very quick list because I promised the audience a minute ago. These are cornerbacks who might turn out to be great players who will not go in round one. Tyson Campbell from Georgia, Kelvin Joseph from Kentucky, Ifatu Melafanwu from Syracuse, Asante Samuel Jr. from Florida State, Elijah Molden from Washington, Eric Stokes from Georgia, Benjamin Saint Just from Minnesota. He's from Montreal. He is, his name is actually French. So the point is, there are a lot of these guys that you could get second or third round. Sometimes we act as though, well, if you didn't draft the guy in the first round, Mike, we just sort of forget that he exists. We, we forget that, that the team still has all these other picks to make up whatever need it is that they feel they have.
0: Yeah, it's a great point. There is a lot of depth at corner. I think there's a lot of depth, depth at offense tackle this year, which is another position when you look at, look, Nate Soldier's coming back. What does he have left? Hard to say. Um, so it's, you know, Bill polling said it all the time, the depth of your team The meat of your roster, it's going to come from the second to the fourth round. I think it's a great point. And Corner's just another example of the depth of this year's draft.
1: Greeny and Tannenbaum, with you here. One more. This one is the coach of the team I root for, and that would be the Jets, Robert Sala. When asked about all the pressure that exists on Zach Wilson, who'll be a rookie quarterback coming in, and himself, who was a first-year head coach. With that rookie quarterback, he said this. I don't think there's risk. You know, it still comes down to having a good football team and building a good roster around uh,
0: uh, around everybody. I mean, it's there's players here that are talented. There's rookies that are going to be coming in that are talented, and and um, so as as far as pressures concerned, there, there's no pressure on me. It's just there's always pressure. There's always pressure to put put together the best football team we possibly can, regardless of
1: who's playing. What'd you think of that, Mike?
0: Boy. I think that's really naive. I, I just don't think he has any idea what's about to happen because when it goes great and Rex Ryan came in, it went really great for Rex. And we know the rest is history, but boy, there are some dark days when you go on a three game losing streak and there's pressure from the day you agree to become the head coach, the GM, or the quarterback of a New York football team. It's an honor. It's a privilege. It's the best city in the world. It's the best sport in the world. But for him to say, there's no pressure. I don't think he has any idea what he's in store for.
1: When people ask me about New York, not about sports, just in general about the city because it's where I'm from, I always say New York is more. Anything that you love about big cities, it has more. Anything that you find challenging about big cities, it has more. And that's, I think, what you're saying is it's the same reality in sports. There's just more. So when things are going great, it's even more great. And when things are going badly, it's even more horrific.
0: Yeah, Coach Parcells would say there's two emotions in New York sports. Euphoria, disaster. There's no, hey, wait and see. Hey, there's a three-year rebuild. You know, we're making instant evaluations on Daniel Jones and Sam Like a, a decade ago, Chad Payton sat for two years, Greeny, before he played. And Eli Manning sat behind. You know, they had Kurt Warner. And, and now, you know, they're going to start Zach Wilson from day one, which I would not do. You know, we talked about it a lot last year. I would not have started Joe Burrow. I would have kept Andy Dalton. And I just think he doesn't realize what's about to happen when the first time he doesn't challenge a call or he goes forward on fourth down in his own territory and it's on the back page of every paper. Until that hits you in the face, you just don't know what you're signing up for.
1: I will see how it turns out. Mike, you've been a huge help to me through this process. If I don't get a chance to talk to you before I head to Cleveland, thanks a million for everything and have a great weekend. I'll see you soon. Okay, I appreciate it. Thanks, Greedy. That's Mike Tannenbaum with me here. He really has. I sent him, I have a few people that I know well that I've sort of leaned on through this process for, for opinions, and I will tell you, for whatever it's worth... The way Mike sees a lot of these players versus the way Mel and Lewis is very different. It, mm. it, that's, one of the things I learned from that is just how many different opinions there are on this stuff. There's, there's sort of one conventional wisdom. There's one groupthink of who the best players are. And then there are a lot of other opinions. So there will be surprises, or at least things that will surprise me, in rounds one, two, and three of the draft next week. A reminder, the NBA is on ESPN Radio. Tomorrow night, Mavs, Lakers. It's presented by Indeed. Coverage 8 Eastern on most of these ESPN radio stations, and you can watch it on ABC.
2: Just going to sit back and have a little story time.
1: Tell me a story. I gather around, everybody, because um, one of my all-time favorites came to mind today. Nuno brought to my attention that today, April 23rd, is the anniversary of the day that Howard Cosell died. Cosell died 1995 on this day. And I will tell you, and if if you enjoy listening to me, if you have enjoyed me being a part of your life in any way as a broadcaster, you have him to thank. And if you find me aggravating and, and, uh, and displeasurable, then you have him to blame. Howard Cosell is the reason I wanted to be a sports announcer. It is very difficult to put into words how famous Howard Cosell was in the 70s. I will simply say he was famous then on a level well beyond the fame that any person who does this for a living has now. So if I were to say I think Stephen A. Smith is the most famous sports announcer today, right? Is that reasonable? I agree with you. That's right. I do. Uh, Take out the former players. Someone like Charles Barkley might be more famous in the big picture, but that's because he played. Stephen A. Smith, I think, is the most famous. It doesn't really matter, but for the purposes of this discussion, let's, let's say Stephen A. The world is a different place than it was then. But the part of the, the piece of the culture that Howard Cosell occupied well beyond just the, the, the day-to-day conversation of sports was unimaginable, comparatively speaking. And I want to tell you two quick stories just to give you an indication of how big a deal I perceived him to be. So I grew up rooting for the Jets, as everybody knows. This, the Jets in the 70s were terrible. I mean, just always terrible. My whole lifetime. They did not make the playoffs in my conscious lifetime until the 1981 season, <laughs> at which time I was a freshman in high school. I had watched them all of my life to that point. So that year, they start getting good. And in those days, there was no Sports Center. I guess Sports Center had just come on the air, but it certainly wasn't a thing everybody knew. And so the time that you would see highlights of all the other games was Howard Cosell's halftime highlights on Monday Night Football. But he wouldn't do all the games. He would just do, like, the good teams. So you would see the Steelers, and you would see the Cowboys, and you would see the Rams, and you would see whoever the good teams were of the era. He never did the Jets. Never. And one night, he's doing... The Jets start getting good. He's doing halftime of Monday Night Football. He's doing the highlights. And he does a Jet highlight. And I went running from my room, shouting for my father. And I said, and I quote... Dad, you're not going to believe this. Howard Cosell knows who the Jets are. I was floored by that. My perception of him was that he was so much bigger than the Jets. The Jets had people like Clark Gaines and Bruce Harper and Jerome Barkham and Richard Castor and all these other names that have, for the most part, been long since forgotten and at that time were not household names in any household, I think, but mine. Howard Cosell, knowing who they were, floored me. But that's not the story. The story I'll tell is that there used to be a restaurant in the Upper East Side of New York called Jim McMullen's, which is no longer there. And it was my family's special occasion restaurant. So, you know, I think a lot of families have that. Oh, it's mom's birthday. We're going to go to Jim McMullin's parents' anniversary. That was where we would go on special occasions. It was a, it was a place you didn't go all the time. Certainly my family wouldn't go there all the time. It was a special occasion kind of place. And we go there one night. And I remember sitting there, I'm a kid, and the room goes silent, silent. It's a vibrant, bustling restaurant. And all of a sudden, you could hear a pin drop. And I realized that everyone at every table has looked up in one direction. And it is because Howard Cosell has walked in the door, and Cosell walks through the room. He walks right past our table, and he goes and he sits someplace. And I I've, I've watch every person in the room be mesmerized, just silent and watching Cosell walk through. And it was in that moment that I thought to myself, that's what I want to be. I want to be that guy. I want to do that. I want people to react that way when I walk in the door of a restaurant, which obviously I have not achieved that. <laughs> um, but that was who he was at that time. And I'm talking about an Upper East Side restaurant, which is not going to be populated by the people who would know who I am today. Do you know what I mean? Like, there were places I could go now where, where most people in the room will know who I am. But a restaurant like that, the overwhelming majority of the people will not. Everybody knew who Howard Cosell was. That's what I'm trying to say. And his legacy, I think, lives on very much today. In Stephen A., in someone like Skip Bayless, I think in someone like Colin. I think in, in, in Tony Kornheiser or Michael mm. Wilbon, the telling it like it is. I mean, his famous line was, I tell it like it is. And it was so different. That was so unusual at that time. I, Mike and the Mad Dog, I'm just thinking of other examples. Less me. Th- that's not really what I do. The, pe- the guys who will uh, sit up there and tell it like it is. I, I tell you like it is. And, and, and will be super opinionated and super bombastic. Those or you can trace all of them directly back to one place and one place only, and that is Howard for sure. So I just wanted to tell that story a little bit here because it occurs to me that there are three generations now of sports fans in America who did not grow up with Howard, who have never heard Howard Cosell. You may have heard the the legendary calls, "Down goes Frasier." That's Howard Cosell. That might be his most famous. And, and there were, but I mean, a million others. He's the one who informed America that John Lennon had been shot. Howard Cosell had had a greater career than any of the rest of us ever will in this industry based on the timing and much more. So I just wanted to throw that out there today. Again, the anniversary he died on this day in 1995. Rest in peace, Howard Cosell. A lot of us still appreciate the difference that you made. Uh, with that thought in mind, it's time to take some phone calls. Uh, we will go into this weekend here, and I want to know what you want to know headed into the weekend. 888-SAY-ESPN is my number. 888-729-3776. Give me a call, and you will ask me what you want to know. Whatever you want to know, we'll do our best to answer. If you can get past Bubba, you can get on the air. 888-729-3776. Your call is up after this word from one 800 flowers. So look, Mother's Day is right around the corner, Okay. You need to lock in your place as the golden child by ordering mom's bouquet early from 1-800-Flowers.com. Do it now, because whether mom is near or far, ordering early means getting the best selection of bouquets that are guaranteed to show her that she is loved. And right now at 1-800-Flowers, this deal I've been telling you about all week, you can get 36 sorbet roses for just $36. It's gorgeous. They sent a bouquet to my house. It's, it's pink, orange, and lavender roses guaranteed to show all the moms in your life just how much they are loved. 36 sorbet roses for $36 is an unbelievable offer, but prices are going up soon. So order today from the official florist of Mother's Day, 1-800-Flowers.com, and here's how you do it. To get the 36 roses for $36, go to 1-800-Flowers.com, click the radio icon, enter the code GREENIE. That's 1-800-Flowers.com, enter GREENIE. Hurry, this offer expires today. Back in a moment on ESPN Radio.
2: Must be 21 plus and present in present and select states. Gambling problem? Call 1 800 GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. See app for details.
0: Greeny, the podcast.
1: I'm Greeny. The NBA is here on ESPN Radio Sunday. Net Suns presented by Indeed. Coverage three Eastern on most of these. ESPN radio stations, Ryan Day in 45 minutes, head coach, Ohio State. He's got a bunch of players in this draft, most notably the quarterback, Justin Fields. So we will hear from him. But right now we'll hear from you at 888-SAY-ESPN. The question to you is very simply, what do you want to know? And if you have made your way past Bubba, who is a discerning judge of radio callers, and you have done well already. Let's get it going here on ESPN radio. Bubba, who's first up? Yeah, first we have Steve. All right, Steve, what do you want to know? Well, Greeny, good morning. Thanks, both for taking my call. Greeny, put yourself – you are now Bill Belichick, okay? Yeah. So take, take – um, move up to four. If you can't move up to four, then because they don't have a real pass-catching uh, uh, running back, take Travis Etienne. And I don't know why nobody's thought of this, and i thought of it a thousand times. Why not bring in Larry Fitzgerald as a third tight end? He's going to not cost you much. Use him as a tight end or a a spoof, a fake. You know? I, I want to be and clear. Too, I'd love to. Yeah, thank you, Steve, for the call. I want to be clear. Did he say Larry Fitzgerald? Uh, so, yeah, I think he wants Travis Etienne at the fourth pick, and Larry Fitzgerald
0: is the third tight end.
1: Okay, so Larry Fitzgerald. First of all, the Giants. The Giants have the eleventh pick in the draft, right? So, or the Patriots. The Patriots I'm Patriots, sorry, the Patriots, Patriots have the fifteenth pick in the draft. No, will want them the trade up, I think. You don't need to trade up to get Travis Etienne. Let me just say, Steve, I love you. I greatly appreciate the call. Nothing that you said made sense. They they don't have any. (laughs) They do not need to, to to, to, to trade anywhere to get Travis Etienne. Travis Etienne will still be there when Friday night begins. Friday night is when round two starts. Somewhere on that night is when Travis Etienne is going to go. If the Patriots are going to trade up, it's going to be to get a quarterback. Everyone thinks they're going to do that. I am very much on record as saying I do not. I do not believe Bill is going to trade up to get a quarterback. Um, but we'll see. I've been wrong before. Bubba, who's next? Brian. All right, Brian, what do you want to know? Hey, Greeny, good morning, uh.
0: Just wondering the draft, you dove headlong into it, and I love all the coverage I'm getting, but normally it's about a 50-50 crapshoot on what you're getting anyways. Now, this last year with the pandemic, as a guy from Wisconsin, huge Aaron Rodgers fan, I watched him surgically carve up defenses, and I'm thinking a lot of that is with no crowd noise, no nothing. How are you judging quarterbacks and other players when they're just basically doing seven-on-seven drills against live competition?
1: So I want to make sure I understood what he said. He, he's asking about how they're,
2: ga- they're judging
1: quarterbacks during the pandemic.
2: He's saying that he thinks that offense was inflated last year because the lack oh. of crowd noise and that contributes. Oh, the to crowd some. noise. Um, so uh,
1: so we're talking about evaluating the quarterbacks in this draft. Look, the bottom line of it is every quarterback in every draft is a 50 50 proposition and I am more than on record as having said that more of them wind up getting ruined than developed. The quarterbacks who will succeed, five of them are going to go, at minimum of five, will go in the first round. Probably... Two or three of them will succeed, and they will be the ones who go to a situation where they are developed properly, where the offense is tailored to what they do well, where whatever it is their deficiencies are, and all people have them, all people have things they're not as good at, where those are minimized, where the coaching is excellent, where the talent around them is excellent, and there's no way to forecast that. So Trevor Lawrence is going to go to Jacksonville with Urban. I have no idea what that's going to be. Urban Meyer is an unbelievable college coach, and he's a super smart guy. How this will work in the pros, it's a mystery. Zach Wilson, all the arm talent in the world. He's coming to New York to play for a first-year head coach who everybody loves. No way of knowing how that's going to go. Justin Fields, Trey Lance, Mac Jones, major question marks. I think whoever winds up getting drafted third by San Francisco will look the best immediately because that's by far the best team that's up there at the top, and they have great coaching. But as far as the long run is concerned... It is all going to be determined by the circumstances in which they find themselves. Greeny on ESPN Radio. Bubba, who's next? Rick. All right, Rick, what do you want to know? Good morning, Greeny. Morning. I'm a huge fan. I had a chance
0: to meet you several years ago when we hosted a Super Bowl here in Miami. Cool. And you couldn't be a nicer guy. You couldn't be a nicer guy. Well, thank you. Uh, Greeny, do you think my Dolphins pulled the trigger too soon? Should they have waited a little longer? And second, are you buying our Knicks? Thank you.
2: So, wait, uh, did that, do I think the Dolphins did what? Pull the trigger too soon. I assume what he's doing is, uh, is talking about is trading, trading back. So he, they traded from 3 to 12 yeah. and back up into They not, got not a lot. They, 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 they
1: traded from 3 to 12 and traded back up. And what they came out of it with listen, he, he, you're, the answer to your question, Rick, is no. And here's why. Because at the end of the day, the objective is not to win the draft, it's to win games and subsequently the Super Bowl. The Dolphins, what they're going to wind up in exchange for the third pick in the draft, they're going to come out of it when all is said and done with Kyle Pitts and an extra number one. That's what they're going to have netted from that trade. That's extraordinary. I mean, extraordinary. I really think that's what's going to happen. I do not think Pitts goes five to Cincinnati. So I think that he will either go four Or what I think is the likelier scenario, someone takes a quarterback at four and Kyle Pitts, probably the best player in the draft, falls to the Dolphins at six. So I believe they will get him. And in all the moving backwards and then forwards again, they net an extra number one. That's extraordinary draft management. And quickly, as far as the Knicks are concerned, yes, I'm buying in. Do I think that they're a championship team? No, of course not. But they are legit in a way they haven't been in a long time, and that is because they have a difference-making coach. Tom Thibodeau is the coach of the year. Speaking of great coaches, Ryan Day, Ohio State, will be among my guests in our next hour. Stay there. Greeny on ESPN Radio.